0: a show which explores life, art, the Bible, and the conversations that tend to arise between them all. Life is not simple, art is not boring, and the Bible is not just a dusty old book. At least, that's what Charles and I believe. In other words, there's a lot going on here, so join us on the Believing Art Podcast as we attempt to discuss it all and everything that lies in between. Welcome to the Believing Art Podcast. This is Seth Brown. I'm Charles Ricks. And we are extremely excited for today's episode. Yeah. <clears throat> this is following on the heels of last episode where we discussed Gustav Klimt's The Tree of Life. And we were so inspired and are still inspired <laughs> by The Tree of Life that we we just we had to keep going on The Klimt. The, the Klimts. Uh, and so we are looking at today specifically Gustav Klimt's The Kiss... Uh, in addition to Egon Schiele's Death and the Maiden's Kiss. Right. Right, I got that name right, Death and the Maiden's Kiss. Or is it Death and the Maiden's? I think it's Death and the Maiden's Kiss. But we are really excited about this one. Um, Before we get into the details of these two paintings, uh, I kind of want to set up how we're going to approach them. We mentioned this last week that there are some paintings that we can actually put into conversation with other paintings. Mm -hmm. And by doing this, you are actually able to extract truth, extract meaning in ways that can often be very unexpected. Mm -hmm. And I know in our last podcast, we talked a lot about how many people are uncomfortable with this notion of of there being more than one meaning in a painting or the meaning changes when you bring in another conversation Mm -hmm. and we Charles and I would really like to dive back into that, that conversation and discuss one, why we can do that and two, why we should do that. So, so those are kind of the two questions we'll tackle up front and then we'll get into the two paintings, paintings. uh, Clint and Mm Sheila. Who were actually? Uh, Schiele was a student of Klimt, so um, they had a relationship to begin with. Like there, there's a reason that we're putting these two pieces in conversation. Right. Um,
1: yeah, and the other reason is is that they're both in the Belvedere in Vienna in rooms next to each other. Right. Yeah. So you walk from one into the other. So. Um, you can't help but see one in light of the other because that's how you actually are experiencing the painting. You can't unsee one to see the other.
0: They they were curated that way. That's right. And the the curator was doing that for a reason. And so we're kind of here to discuss that reasoning behind... That's right. ...why they're curated in that specific way. So, Charles, why... Why should... Why would we do that? Isn't a painting... Supposed to just be a painting, a standalone painting.
1: Well, painting like text, like music, like any art, never exists in a vacuum. Um, every every painting, every piece of literature is always responding to some stimuli. They they don't exist unto themselves. Um, they come in a time period and that time period is doing certain things historically and artistically. And so the artist is responding in some way to other works of art that have been done. Uh, Just like uh, when you read a text or you even read a newspaper, you're reading that in light of what's going on, right? So the language itself is contextualized The way the story is written is contextualized. The way something is painted is contextualized. Um, There really isn't any such thing as any kind of writing or any kind of art that has no context. That doesn't really exist. So to the extent that we can experiment with what these intersections mean, uh, but that helps us understand the piece better, right? So for example, in the world of, um, in the world of classical music, uh, if you know what happened, let's say before um, Chopin, right? So if you know what Bach did at the piano or at the keyboard, and then you know what Mozart did, and then you know what Beethoven did, then you have an appreciation for seeing how Chopin not only took harmony, but keyboard playing to the next level, right? You can enjoy the piece for what it is. You don't have to know those other things, but when you do know all of those other things and you do know the context and you know something about who he was and why he wrote the music that he did, then you get so much more out of it
0: yeah it's almost like there's this background or there's this uh, continuous conversation that has been going on right. since the very beginning, mm-hmm. and you're jumping into a very specific frame, very specific snapshot, which is valuable in and of itself that 's right, but there are ways in which when you place it into the greater thread, the greater stream, suddenly it becomes alive in ways that you didn't even know existed that you you weren't even aware was possible you, you didn't even know that. That could happen. That's right, and and in many ways too. Um, in order to tie this, I think maybe back uh, to the Bible or back to sort of that that Christian conversation. There are ways in which the Bible too is a product of. Is is a is a conversation a snapshot of a conversation, albeit a very big snapshot, <laughs> in, in in a much larger conversation that was going on during its during its day during its day when mm-hmm. it was written, when it was collected, when it was uh, edited, and when mm-hmm. it was put out uh, written mm-hmm. it, put out and may not be the right word, but
1: well, uh, when it became available,
0: yeah, to yeah, people. Yeah, that's what I mean
1: because. You know, one thing, just as we're talking about the Bible, um, one thing we assume about the Bible is that when it was written, everyone could read it. When in reality, most people during its, certainly during the time it was produced, couldn't read, couldn't write. That was for a very small percentage of people. Could read or write it's only it's a fairly modern phenomenon to be able to have a complete written sacred text along with study notes and footnotes and multiple different translations in your own language sitting in your living room that's a very, very new thing and, and it
0: being accessible to you that's right like and it being you accessible. being able to read it and approach it mm-hmm. and understand that's right.
1: It. that's right that's
0: right yeah that's that's really interesting so in in regards to all that all those comments there are ways in which a a piece or a painting or a a musical uh, number comes alive when you're able to place it in context in conversation with the greater that's right the greater cultural background Mm -hmm. that's going on what
1: was happening and how was the painter in this case since we're talking about art how was the painter rejecting or accepting the the artistic ideas of his day and those all have to do with political movements historical movements cultural movements yeah.
0: well and it almost seems to be the default to understand it in that way so i'm curious as to why i'm curious as to how how we've gotten to a point where we do kind of want to pull it out of its context I mean, what What do you think about that in, in regards to... To me, I, I hear what you're saying and what we're talking about and it just makes sense to to place it in conversation mm-hmm. with other pieces, with what was going on in the day. But But for some reason, a lot of the ways that we approach the Bible or paintings today, mm-hmm. at least the way that I approach them or have... Approach them in the past is to try to just take them as they are.
1: Well, part of that is because that's what we know. That's what we can control. That's what's comfortable for us.
0: Mm, Okay. Yeah.
1: I see something. I like it. That's easy for me. Right. I see something and then I have to work to understand it. That's not so easy. I mean, it's, it's the, A couple of examples might help here. One is the way a lot of people approach opera, right? A lot of people don't like opera because they have to work to understand it. You've got to know the story. You have to know the language. You have to know the conventions. You have to know all of that. I mean, you can appreciate a song and think, oh, well, that particular aria was really nice. Um, But it's a whole lot of work to understand the whole thing. It's a different experience than turning a song on the radio.
0: Hmm.
1: Right, you're not asked to do very much. I'd give you another example, which I think is a little, a little closer, maybe than even that, is the day that you wake up and realize that your grandparents were people.
0: Okay, interesting. What, um, do, you, what but, do you mean by that? Well,
1: because when you're when you come to know your grandparents. Uh, you get to know them for how you relate to them in the in the the few years that you've been on the planet that's all you've got really when they have lived a much much longer period of time right so there's a day for example it's like going up into your grandparents attic and finding that your grandparents actually were young once and they wrote love letters to each other and <laughs> You know, they had these. They had right. lives that didn't include you.
0: Okay, right? yeah. And okay. that
1: becomes a little bit more threatening because it's like, well, I didn't know my grandmother did this. I didn't know she thought that, and I didn't know she went here. I didn't know my grandfather did this or that and the other thing. Um, and none of that had anything to do with you. They didn't even know you existed yet. Right? <laughs> right. So their life is much bigger than yours, but you have an attachment to them that's very particular and very specific. Sure. Right? So the same thing is true with art, right? It has a long history before you ever get
0: to it. Yeah. Oh, that's really good.
1: You know, and so when you get to it, what you see is what you can own and understand. And it's a little bit threatening, I think, to realize there's this piece of art has a whole nother life. It's it's a little bit like um, the day you realize that your best friend in grade school has other friends besides you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, he's my friend. Well, actually he's friends with, or she is friends with tons of other people. Yeah. Right. So there's a, there's a, there's something about attachment. We get attached to people, attached to texts, attached to things. That's ours without realizing it's so much bigger than that.
0: Right. Well, and this kind of gets back to our previous podcast. We were discussing one of the words that kind of kept coming up was this notion of wanting to control the yes. narrative, wanting to control, control the, the meaning and and suddenly it becomes much more difficult when when whatever has been going on with this particular piece of music or art or text, it's been it's been going on much longer before you even arrived at the scene. Like suddenly your attempts to to, to hold it, to grab it, are proved futile because it's been going on much longer before you were. That's
1: right. That's right. Even around exactly. Mm-hmm. So
0: it's it's interesting that it comes back to that notion of control, control. wanting to, wanting to, um, yeah, wanting to control. The, I don't know if it's wanting to control the meaning as much as it's just trying to control. I'm trying to figure out what exactly that is trying to, trying to control its effect on you trying to control. Well, or
1: I, I, it's, it could be just that very childlike instinct of, I want it for me.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: You know, it doesn't belong to anybody else. It belongs to mine. Me. It's mine.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've got two nephews right now and, mm-hmm. and a niece, but um, seeing the two nephews interact is really funny because the older one, as soon as the younger one becomes interested in something, the older one goes over and says, Mine.
1: <laughs> yes. Like, that's
0: mine. That's No, give it to me. Or I want this. or Even yeah. though, up until then, it had no bearing on him whatsoever. But as soon that's as somebody right. else became interested in it, he suddenly wanted mm-hmm. it for himself.
1: Well, um, and, and I think that... I'm, I'm glad you brought up the idea of nephews, uh, little nephews, because you're dealing with... with Age and time and exposure, right? And so, when you when you have little kids, we expect this behavior because they're young,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? When we if we had adults behave like that, we would be really concerned. Eyebrows
0: would be raised, right?
1: <laughs> but when <laughs> well, you've got little know. kids, yeah. you know that they don't know any better; they haven't been taught yet. And I think that same. Principle applies to um, artistic appreciation. Okay, because when we're in our infancy in appreciating art, we want that for ourselves. We 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 like what we see, or we don't like what we see, right? But then the and when someone else comes along and wants to like it in a different way, then it's it's that childlike, no, you can't have that. It's mine. I understand it this way. That's how kids respond. Whereas the more adult way of understanding it is, um, I see this in a painting, but somebody else sees some, something else. And that sparks a, Oh, well tell me about that. Mm. You know, I I want to know more. I want to know more about it. Right. But that, that comes from maturity. Mm. So, the dissonance is when we, are a, when we are physically adults, but we are artistically in our infancy, then it's hard for us to make those match. Yes. That's why we have adults that, acting like kids when it comes to art, is my opinion.
0: That, well, and I, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. That there is a there is a sense in which you you have to grow into That's right. experiencing just like just like with any other area of life, nobody would expect to show up to a job and know immediately what's That's expected right. of them, how they're going to perform, how to mm. relate to those around. It. Like any aspect of our life, we expect we expect to begin somewhere and to grow into. Whatever that position is required of us so to okay. some degree it's almost like well why, why are we suddenly surprised when we approach art this way and, and we're having these certain reactions mm-hmm. that, that are very kind of infantile or come from this kind of just young um, naive place mm-hmm. why are we surprised by that um, I think that's really good so, so that makes... Okay, so, so to kind of bring it around to the second question that I asked in regards to why it's important that we do this, uh, I think the answer becomes pretty clear when we do put these two different pieces of art into conversation with each other, or, for example, the Bible into conversation with particular pieces of art. We grow into the conversation, and that, that itself is valuable because the conversation can then begin to take on this maturity, this this level of of uh, this depth that previously it was was not available. That's right. Because we're just young. Yeah, we, we we there's no there's no pathways that we're used mm-hmm. to traveling in regards to understanding these That's right. these things.
1: And the other reason to put things in conversation is very much like it's why it's important for two people to talk. Right? Because if I like you and I have known each other for a long time, but there's a whole lot more to Seth Brown than than what I know even after all this time we spent together. Right. And the same is true with me. Right? So it would be ridiculous. It would be it, it not only ridiculous, it would it would be cruel and arrogant and just keep adding the adjective I mean For me to say that all there is to Seth Brown is what I can talk about.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, clearly that cannot be true. Right? And it's the same way... I mean, art is the same way, right? It's it's, it's very much like a person because it was born out of a person and their experiences Mm. and the world that they live in, all of which is huge, right? So for me to say that all there is to this piece of artwork or to the Bible or to pick something.
0: Um,
1: Well, it's just, it's reductive. It's It's, it's it's reductive. And and it's it's, not
0: being fair. It's being very, um, yeah, it's it's just not fair. It's just not 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 like, it doesn't work. You're not, you're not uh, seeing the thing for it's, it's, you're not respecting it. You're not giving in.
1: That's right. That's right. There's, you're not respecting it for the breadth that's there.
0: Right. Yeah. And so that's. Uh, the, yeah. So there are ways in which putting these pieces of art into conversation with one another mm-hmm. is a way in which um, we're. I guess. I guess what I'm trying to say is that there is some level of res- of respect associated with that. Because we recognize that this particular piece of art has, has so much more meaning than what is just available right. on its own. And we want to catch the full breadth of its meaning. Right. And so we're going to do that by bringing in other people. People, You didn't see this, listeners, but I, I put people in air quotes. We're right. bringing in other people, people to the conversation, other art pieces, other experiences, because we want to extract that full... We want to, we want to see as much as we can because That's we right. respect... This particular piece of art.
1: That's right, and we want to know more about
0: it. We want to know more about it because we're curious. Right. We're curious more about open. That's yeah. That's I think that's really good, and I think, I think that's a really um, appropriate setup to our conversation that we're about to get into with Klimt and yeah, Chile. That's right. Um,
1: I think I think so because there's a lot. Um, there's a lot to be said for both of them, but there's also a lot to be said for how one follows the other. Yes. And yes. How one looks in light of the other.
0: Exactly. So let's get into it, shall we? So the, the painting that we're looking at right now is Gustav Klimt's uh, The Kiss which was painted in, I think it was 19, the early 1900s. And what we have here is a, it's a rather large painting. And in the center, the, the very center of the frame, there's a man and a woman caught in this very intimate embrace. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's actually really difficult to kind of separate the man from the woman the the only way you're able to do it is based off of these sort of geometry the the shapes that are associated with each each person's clothing, but it's it's capturing their moment right before the man uh, is leaning in to kiss the woman, and it's just this very idyllic, beautiful, almost fantastical uh, snapshot of this union between man and woman, and they're they're. They're sitting, standing. It's kind of hard to make out exactly how they're perched on this, this kind of green ledge that is full of just wonderful colors, just mm-hmm. beautiful, very similar to the the style that we discussed last week mm-hmm. in The Tree of Life. Um, you, you get the sense that this is almost a fairy tale, that there, there is, right. there's this mystical, magical quality to it, that the gold painting is just, just kind of Leaps off the the the, um, the canvas, and and it's it it's very inspiring, um, but it, it it seems almost too good to be true. You know, there's this sense in which it's almost too good to be true. So, and then in the the very bottom right corner, you can see Gustav Klimt's signature mm-hmm. right? just barely. So, that's the kiss. Uh, which is in the room right next to Egon Schiele's "Death and the Maiden's it's Death Death and the Maiden's Kiss," right? Or is it death? just "Death and the Maiden"? Death and the Maiden, just "Death and the Maiden."
1: Well, this is really almost the opposite <laughs> of the Klimt, although they were painted roughly at the same time. So the kiss would be 1908.
0: Okay, I was going to say 1909.
1: But... And "Death and the Maiden" is 1915. Okay. So even though Schiele was a kind of a protege of Klimt, these were both happening right about the same time, which is yet another reason yes. for them to talk to each other because it marks um, a, sh- a bit of a shift in the way that um, Schiele was took what Klimt did. Okay, right? so as you were describing it's almost as too good to be true this embrace of the 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 man and the woman that they're literally one
0: yeah yes right? that's there's right there's
1: a oneness about them it's a single gold block right and it's there's it's it's everything that you know you said it was glittering gold it looks you know it's fantastic and then Sheila's painting. It's there is still an embrace, although you you can distinguish the male and the female. The um, as the title suggests, the it's the woman is clinging to a male, which is death, right? That there's clearly a, a, an end to this too good to be trueness. It's the fairy tale that has suddenly become reality, yeah. um, and so there's this clinging to really to death which is everyone's end it's everyone's reality at some point in life and so rather than having these gold colors you have these decaying earth tones Mm. that um, really come at a time when artistically what's happening is with expressionism Progressing and coming on the scene, it really is a rejection of this too good to be true kind of world that Klimt lives in, right? So one is Death and the Maiden in many ways is, is is pointing to a rejection, right, of this too good to be true fairy tale kind of oneness. Mm. So whereas Klimt's painting is would evoke life Sheely's painting evokes death right now they're both um, they're both somewhat erotically charged right in that clearly the name the kiss right has to do with romantic behavior the way that the man is wrapped into the woman has kind of a an erotic charge to it, a sexual charge to it, uh, which would have been appropriate to that time period and that style of art. But so does Sheila's too, right? The, the, um, there, there's a, you know, there, there's a very visceral kind of reaction that you're supposed to have, right? It's, it's sort of the opposite of eroticism. It's, it's the, Reality of death and falling apart and separation and clinginess and wanting life that you can't have. Um, and so you have two, two things that are in conversation by virtue of the fact that, that many people go through the experiences of these two paintings everyone is going to be in Sheila's painting at some point. Because you are going to separate, you are going to die, you are going to cling to people, you are going to have to embrace death. Right? Yes. And at some point, many people have, not everybody, but many people have either imagined or experienced the kiss sort of at the beginning. So if you look at kind of the progression of, if you put the, if you were to take these two paintings and put them on a, they're clearly on a timeline, right? But I think if we let the paintings interrogate us, right, which is what happens when you look at a piece of art, you interrogate the artwork, what is this? And then it interrogates you, like, where where are you in this painting? Yes. Right? Um, it really asks that age-old question of what do you like better, beginnings or endings? All right, do Interesting. You like, do you like the beginnings of things, or do you like the ends of things? Yeah. All right. Um, you know, the if you look at, like, in the Old Testament, uh, we might have something... Um, perhaps in the wisdom corpus, you might have something like the Song of Songs. Yes. Right. Be like the kiss. Right. I mean, it, it's it's the, the piece of love poetry. Sure. Right. But at least in the Christian canon, and this is also true of the Hebrew canon as well, uh, these are juxtaposed next to each other. Um, the Song of Solomon is put next to Ecclesiastes, right? Which (laughs) is very much like The Death and the Mavericks.
0: That's really interesting. I had not made that connection before, but that is totally worth making. I mean, that connection is... is And Ecclesiastes
1: is going to ask the question, you know, it's going to talk about um, the difference between beginnings and endings. Yes. Yes. So... Why do we put these together? Well, because that's the way life is.
0: Yes, that's exactly right. It's almost like they're a magnet. It's like you can't you can't keep them apart, actually. It, that's right. It, it'd be difficult to separate them.
1: <laughs> because I would venture to say that even that the Shile painting makes you remember when things were better. Right, right. You're looking at this painting. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, it's but it's awful because of of what of what its opposite is. Mm. Right, it's awful because you know that there's something better. Well, you you have a sense of climpness. Yes, the kiss when you're looking at this painting. Yes. It's in your imagination. You've never seen the painting. Right, right, and and and. I think what's really interesting that that would may not be true if all that you saw was the Klimt. Right. right. And I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, because art is, is a reflection of life, right? And this is why we have it. The reason it's so important to look at these two paintings together is because, and you, you've all known people who, um, you know, you show them the... You talk about something that is has the kiss-like, right? And then if you start talking to, talking to them about, well, eventually, it's not going to stay this way, they may say, well, I don't want to think about that. I don't, I don't want to think right. about death. I don't want to think about the bad stuff. I don't want to yeah. think about that. Well, you know, then... Um, but you have to think about it. Right, because you can't avoid it. You can't avoid avoid thinking about you know the older you get. You can live in Klimt
0: world, you know, uh, uh,
1: until COVID
0: hits. (laughs) People start dying. All world is almost like it'd be a good theme for like a like a Disney park or yeah, like a a roller. You know, I want to go to Klimt world.
1: I want I want everything to be gold and glittery.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
1: You know, I don't have to deal with death. Yeah. But you do have to deal with death. And that's why these two paintings coming from um, the, the sort of the, the man, the master and his protege, about the same time. I mean, the early that early 1900 period. um art was like shifting on its I mean the earth was shifting on its axis artistically in the 1900s right so much was happening in Europe between 1900 and 19 say 25
0: Mm.
1: and a lot of it paralleled the move from the romantic period into the this modern period where things were much more industrial mm-hmm. people were having different kinds of lives. Yeah. They were moving into cities, right? There was, there was a lot of machine. I mean, things were mechanized. Yeah. Right. This idyllic world of the country or the golden age of, you know, the, the fantasy kind of stuff was kind of on its way out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there was a sense of kind of alienation and, and, mm-hmm. That's right. Associated and exactly.
1: With, and that's a great word for the yeah. Sheila painting is. Yeah, alienation.
0: You, you almost get the sense as you're looking at it that that really in the Sheila painting the, the the maiden isn't like it's a very ambiguous look, but it there's no like there's no pleasure to be found in this painting in any way whatsoever. I mean the the colors are just unsettling, the harshness of the The way that they're they they're reclining on this this you know uh white sheet, but the sheet looks like a rock like it did right the way that Shile has captured it is just this very harsh um kind of extreme very um textured capturing of this this sheet and it's just it just looks uncomfortable everything about this painting is uncomfortable, uncomfortable. and no one wants to be there like the, even though they're embracing there's still the the way that Sheila has kind of cut across death with the the maiden's kind of elbow you, right there there's this sense of separation this this mm-hmm. sense of alienation that you can't escape from while you're looking at this painting even though it does look like they're embracing you get the sense in which neither of them are really excited about it
1: no and if it's you know as the title suggests death death and the maiden nobody wants to die
0: exactly exactly yeah and so there's this there's certainly this sense in which this painting is 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 unsettling uncomfortable it, it captures the spirit of what Chile was was experiencing mm-hmm. in this sort of industrial industrialized world post World War One. Yeah, just this sort of like loss of the loss of. Actually, this was during World War One. Yeah, I was going to say, it's this loss of innocence or this loss of idyllic mm-hmm. perfection that is occurring. Correct. Yeah. Which, when we start talking in big terms about loss of innocence, loss of perfection, ideal of perfection in a man and a woman. Suddenly, if if you're any sort of biblical scholar, there's one particular story Story. that should be just like going off like an alarm bell. And this was actually how I was introduced to this painting, was through this particular prompt that I had to write about in a class I took uh, from you in regards to... Um, comparing these two pieces, the kiss and death and maiden, and uh, the ways in which the conversation that springs between them affects our interpretation of Genesis 2 and 3. That's right. And I had to write an essay about this, and a lot of people had to write (laughs) essays about this. (laughs) And and, uh, I remember last podcast, you mentioned this, that this particular essay yielded one of the most—it it seemed to yield very insightful
1: yeah, essays. It, it, was, on, it was one of the top I mean, just ones like
0: the spectacular. The ways in which people kind of saw this truth of well, things can't be perfect forever. Like there, right. there, there is a cycle to the way things go, mm-hmm. and um, yeah.
1: Because you know, and you have the. I. I, I the the Chile actually. Does talk about that you that death is inevitable.
0: Right. right. Okay. The
1: the perfection. Can't you? You can't have it. Right. You can't you can't have it in a garden where everything is like it is in the in the clint right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it can't you can't stay that way. Um, because that's that's not the human experience, mm-hmm. right? The human experience, as we learn in Genesis two and three, right, uh, is not to live forever, right? Right. I mean that mm-hmm. was the I guess one of the, the textual things that sometimes is overlooked is that the reason that they were uh, sent away from the garden in Genesis three twenty two and twenty three is so that they wouldn't eat from the tree of life and live forever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So, um, you know the the looking at these two paintings side by side. Really, just reinforces a very fundamental reality that everybody has to face. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, and the other thing it talks about um, harkens a little bit back to what we were talking about earlier is the whole idea of maturity. Right. right. That, yeah. that maturity as an adult is not continually to continuing to seek to live in perfection at least as we're on this earth right yes it, right. it's about maturing and learning how to accept the way things are yes right which i would say i think is one of the main reasons that we need art in our lives is to help us grow up and yeah. learn, and learn how to see life as it is
0: yeah that's really good
1: you know um because, you know, it, it would be a little bit like, um, and I'm not saying that Disney movies aren't valuable, right? <laughs> but I mean, it is a little odd when you run into adults that, and all they were to be watching is a Disney channel.
0: <laughs> right, or all they like are Disney yeah. movies. Yeah, no, that's really good.
1: Right, I mean, we expect children to yeah, like it, example. even teenagers to like it, even college students. I mean, there's a certain part of your life where Disney movies, okay, but yeah. if that's all you ever looked at...
0: Yeah, there's a way in which people it's like, would... That's, that's uh, mm-hmm. like, that's... That's another eyebrow-raising experience. Like, like, really?
1: Although, <laughs> you know, there are many things about... Um, some Disney renderings of things that ironically aren't for kids. I mean, they really are pretty
0: adult. (laughs) Sure. Now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and the thing that I was going to mention is that you can't, the way that we're talking sort of about this idyllic kiss notion is that it, it almost seems as if we're not for it or it's just not valuable in any way but what you're getting at is that no, that this is an important step in the development like you do this is an important that's right you -hmm. you need to have this oh absolutely for as long
1: as you possibly can that's right
0: (laughs) like this needs to be an experience in your life you need to to live in this sort of state of innocence about the way things are like that's that's part of the cycle that's part of Mm -hmm. life but you can't stay there. Can't stay there right? You can't when when you try to grasp and hold on to this sort of cycle mm-hmm. or this this stage of life, it, it becomes uh, hollow and just kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? It becomes uh, stagnant, stagnant. Mm-hmm. stagnant, just unrealistic. You're living in this world all of your own, as in a very much similar way as if you just watch Disney movies all the time. Like Mm -hmm. there just comes a point where it's just not, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. You've got to grow up at some point and, and, um, yeah, come to, come to accept reality as it is. Um, but, but you need that first stage. You can't have one without the other. And I think that's a really important, uh, Important truth to draw from these two mm-hmm. paintings is that they you need one in order to understand the other um, or at the very least to clarify what's going on the right. other um, is there anything else you're thinking about i think we i think we we kind of
1: well i think the 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 one other thing I would say okay um the one other thing I would say about looking at these two pieces in this way, one I don't know that it's an insight that comes from it, but it's something that I think appears mm-hmm. as we think about these two paintings next to each other, is to realize that death is part of life
0: yes, in a that, very paradoxical it, way mm-hmm.
1: yeah. that, that death is yeah it's part of the it's part of being
0: human mm-hmm if there's uh, one question you're going to leave the listeners in regards to these two paintings, Charles, what is it? There, if there's one further prompting um, that you kind of want to leave with them, what what might you?
1: Do? I would go back to the Klimt. Okay. And I think there is. Uh, I think we have talked about this painting throughout this podcast as being uh, idyllic,
0: um,
1: ide- you know, ideal, mm-hmm. um, innocent, where everything is yeah. all together, right, not un- unsullied.
0: Yes, right? that's right.
1: Um, and I think I would... I think I would ask... The question, a little bit like we did at the end of the uh, the tree of life, when we were yes. looking at the three characters. Mm-hmm. Remember, we were talking mm-hmm. about the the man who had that was in the embrace with the woman, much like this. But then there was a third woman. Yes, right. And so, what's the relationship between those three? So when we, you know, we've talked about the kiss as being idyllic, uh, an ideal. We've looked at it as being innocent. Yeah. And I think the question I would ask is, is it really all that innocent? And is innocence as uncomplicated as we sometimes think
0: it is? On the surface level, it comes across as an extremely idyllic, innocent painting. Mm -hmm. But when you start to look at the positioning the man and the woman suddenly suddenly these questions arise Arise. and you and you really have to ask wait a second am i is -hmm. it really as innocent as my first impression Mm -hmm.
1: is that's right and we also have to remember that we are we are men discussing this painting right how would a woman see this would a woman feel dominated by this painting because the man is in a more dominant position. Right. That's so good. (laughs) So again, that's kind of an example of there's all kinds of other questions that
0: we need more people. We need more conversation.
1: It's not just about what we see. That's right. Just, there's so much more that could be said.
0: The question that I would like to leave the listener with is, is the intensity in which the maiden is grasping death. I noticed this the last time I viewed the painting. If you, if you zoom in to her hands, which are just behind the, the, uh, yes. the males, mm-hmm. the, the death's back, she's actually, she has this extremely weird grip and it's kind of hard to quite make out what exactly is going on. How she, how she's actually even holding on to death. And the question that I think I would like to leave with the, the listener is: Is is her grip slipping? I mean, is it is it a sort of grip in which she's she can't hold on much longer and she's slipping away, or is it? a grip what the, i guess the question that i'm asking is what with what intensity is she is she holding on to death and and what are the ways in which that might speak to how we can view mm-hmm. this notion of of just because death is a reality there are there are different levels with which we can maybe accept mm-hmm. that and deal with that and
1: well, yeah. and the way he is holding her.
0: That's right. Is death in
1: some ways benevolent?
0: Mm. That's really good. So it's it's interesting. Both of our questions kind of had to deal with the way in which the two figures are grasping each other. The other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe that's a really good, that's a that's a good place to leave the, yeah. Leave the listeners. Yeah, I agree, yeah. How are the ways in which the two figures interacting with each other, gripping each other, holding on to each other, their positions, their postures, how do those um, give nuance to the larger ideas that we've been discussing in this podcast? That's right. Very
1: good. Until next Uh, time.
0: uh, Yeah, thanks for listening. Until next time. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at BelievingArt, that's one word, for all our updates, episode releases, and other miscellany. We'll see you next time.